Hi everyone, and welcome back to Risk and Regulation Rundown. I'm Andrew Strange, a regular host, and in today's episode we're talking about the FCA's consumer duty proposals. Joining me for today's discussion are David Kenmere, who is a partner in our authorizations and conduct practice, and Tessa Norman, a manager in my regulatory insights team. So the FCA's consumer duty proposals represent a major shake-up in conduct regulation for all firms involved in the manufacture or the distribution of products or services to retail clients, so a really broad cohort. The regulator issued a second consultation on its proposals in December at the end of 2021. While we don't have the final rules yet, it did give us a very clear direction of travel and certainly holds firms to a greater account to deliver good outcomes for retail clients. Now, Tessa, we covered some of this in a previous podcast episode last year, around the time of the first consultation. So do you just want to start off by giving us some reflections on the proposals in the second paper from last year? Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I'll just start by giving a very brief recap on what it is that the FCA is proposing. Um, so it's proposing to, in to introduce a new principle which would require firms to act to deliver good outcomes for their retail clients. Um, and that's going to replace two of the existing principles, six and seven. So the TCF principle and the one around communicating in a way that's clear, fair and not misleading. That's going to be underpinned by three cross-cutting rules and then four of what the SCA um, calls consumer outcomes. So basically the sort of really key aspects of the um, customer relationship. Um, there were a couple of changes between the first and the second consultation. So the SCA um, removed um, a proposal around introducing a private right of action. So firms were really pleased to see that. Um, but I think there's still quite a lot of kind of challenges in, in, in what the SCA is proposing. Um, Kind of overarching thoughts on, on what the FCA is proposing. I think this is partly kind of a, an evolution from what, where we've been before. So um, we've had TCF since 2006. Um, and, and since then, the FCA has carried out a lot of work which has kind of built on that. So it's done work on culture. Um, on, we've had the vulnerable customers guidance in February 2021. Um, plus, we've seen quite a lot of an increasing focus on things like product governance and, and price and value. Um, and but I think it is quite interesting to kind of look back at those TCF outcomes and, and you could kind of be forgiven if you look back at that wording about, of thinking, well, is this really a significant um, change? You know, the SCA has described this as, as a paradigm shift. Um, and I think it, there's certainly some areas where there is a distinct um, difference from, from the current rules. Um, there's kind of a lot more sort of um, onerous proposals around how firms monitor consumer outcomes, how they evidence that to the regulator. Um, the new value assessment is going to be quite a new requirement for a lot of firms. That's going to feel quite different. Um, and, you know, in lots of areas, the SCA is basically putting sort of more onus on firms to help consumers get good outcomes. So it's kind of um, more of a recognition of the barriers that consumers face to, to acting in their own interests. Um, in a lot of places, the FCA is kind of working to make um, its rules consistent across all sectors. So certain sectors have been subject to more scrutiny than others on certain things. So the, um, the price and value piece being, being a good example there. Um, and I think in some areas, although the, what the FCA is proposing isn't radically different, um, I think it's clear the FCA isn't happy with how some firms are complying with current rules. You know, the fact the FCA feels the need to introduce this, the fact it is describing it as a paradigm shift, I think it suggests that the SCA is not quite happy with how firms are complying in certain areas. 
Yeah, I think I'd agree. And you say value assessment is something that firms are, uh, some firms are used to. It's good the asset managers are ahead of the curve for once. It's unusual. So, um, David, I mean, you're an ex-senior regulator. So, I mean, broadly, is this is this an evolution of TCF? And uh, we're dating ourselves thinking about TCF when that came around, what, 15 years ago? Um, or is this more revolutionary in its approach? Is it the sort of paradigm shift that the FCA and Tessa just referenced? I think it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, as Tessa said, it is a natural evolution. You know, she mentioned TCF, she mentioned a number of other things. You know, I could cite the conduct risk agenda that Hector Sants launched. You almost got all the action that uh, Chris Woolard and uh, Andrew Bailey took in relation to sort of the payday market and the high cost short term credit, all of which was around delivering better customer outcomes. And obviously, as we've seen with Nikhil Ratta coming in to an organization that's under some pressure partly because of operational issues and partly because of past scandals, he's clearly very keen to put his own stamp on the FCA's consumer protection agenda. And this really, I think, in consumer protection is the flagship initiative on which the FCA is going to sort of be judged for the next few years. So I think firms should very much expect to see it in their both strategic and day-to-day -day supervisory engagement with the regulator. I think that's true. We'll come back to that. But I mean, Tessa, what kind of response have you heard from, from firms or from the industry on this? Do, do they, are they agreeing with David's view? I think we're hearing a really um, broad range of views, actually, from firms, which is interesting. So I think you've got some firms who are in the camp of thinking, oh, this is just TCF plus a bit more, and, and they think that they broadly are already complying with it, that they don't have a huge amount to do. And then at the other end of the spectrum, there's plenty of firms who are who are really concerned about this. Um, you know, I, I mentioned that there were a, a few changes between the first and second consultation that firms were pleased to see. But even despite those changes, a lot of firms recognise the sort of um, the, 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 the scope and, and significance of this. So firms, firms are concerned about it. Um, I think the there's a couple of areas that come up again and again when we're speaking to firms about this. So the monitoring requirements that, that I touched on earlier, that's a, that's a really big concern for firms. Um, I think firms are hoping to get a bit more clarity from the FCA on that um, and, and, and in terms of exactly what the FCA expects. Um, and how the proposals are going to apply to um, existing products and services and, and, and to closed products um, is also a, a, a pretty big concern for firms. Um, you know, this is going to be a significant undertaking. Firms are going to have to review their um, product terms across across every single product. So if, if you're a large firm with a big back book, that's quite a big undertaking. Um, and I think, you know, this is an example of, of a kind of really principles-based um, proposal and you know whilst there's uh, you know some positives in that for firms in terms of it gives them a bit more flexibility in how they apply it it does mean that um, firms are going to have to make some pretty big judgment calls so there's lots of different sort of concepts and terms within these rules that firms are going to have to interpret for themselves so you know for example what does fair value mean what what's an unreasonable barrier to a consumer accessing um, accessing their cash um, you know what is a good outcome firms are going to have to define that for themselves and I think lots of firms are are struggling with that and um, you know there's also things like a um, a concept of proportionality, which the FCA talks about, um, which which runs throughout the proposals, and that means that for firms who don't have a direct relationship with the end customer, so asset managers being a good example, um, the FCA wouldn't expect as much of them as it would for, for for those with a more direct relationship with the customer. But firms are struggling a bit with, okay, what exactly does that mean for them? And again, when you've got multiple firms in the distribution chain. Where exactly do, does each firm's responsibilities um, start and end? 
Um, and then again, for, for some of the other firms, so thinking about life insurers, pension providers, where they're not having that really regular interaction with customers as, 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 as banks would do, um, they're thinking about some of the challenges around, do they know their customers well enough? Do they have you know a good enough understanding of their customers' needs? Um, and do, do they have enough kind of, or will they be able to get enough kind of engagement with the with their customers? So thinking about the the proposals around communications and consumer understanding, that's potentially a big challenge. Um, so I think bearing all that in mind, and um, the the current uh, nine month implementation period is is a major challenge for for a lot of firms. I think for a lot of firms, that's actually their their biggest concern, uh, you know, over and above the substance, is just how are they going to be able to get all this done within nine months. Yeah, I agree. And the consumer engagement bit is not new, and it's something that firms and the regulators have struggled with for, for decades. And it's interesting as well, you're saying you know, the, the proportionality concept and the fact that asset managers, therefore, as a product manufacturer, might be slightly less um, hit. If you look at their compliance with some of the prod rules that the FCA put out a report on last year, I don't think the results are necessarily brilliant. So I, I don't think they can afford to rest on their laurels, assuming they're doing the right thing at the moment. I mean, there's lots of messages there. I'm sure firms have played those back into the regulator because technically this is was a consultation paper. It, it closed in, in mid-February. Um, I suppose, what are firms doing now? I mean, what should they be doing now? So it's a consultation paper. Can they afford to sit back and do nothing? Or are there steps that they can take now in terms of preparing for this, do you think, Tessa? Yeah, so certainly some firms are waiting till we get the policy statement, and, and usually, you know, firms would 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 wait for that before they they embarked on a kind of costly change program. But I think this is a little bit different for for a couple of reasons. You know, firstly, this is the second consultation paper we've had, so the FCA has already had a lot of industry feedback. I think a lot of firms feel, and, and we'd probably agree that the FCA is unlikely to make sort of really significant changes from the from the second consultation. I'm sure there'll be some tweaks and hopefully a bit more clarity, but I think we've got a pretty clear um, direction of travel. Um, and, and I think the other point is, as I've mentioned, it, you know, this, these changes are really wide ranging, they're significant, and we've only got nine months. So for lots of firms, they are thinking about, are there any sort of no regret actions that they could take now or you know, between now and the policy statement? Um, so most firms are carrying out a, a gap analysis at, at this stage, as, as you'd probably expect. Um, but some of the sort of actions that firms are thinking about that, that they could take at the moment are things like defining what a good outcome would mean for them and for their customers. Um, they need to think about doing that on a product by product basis. So maybe taking you know a couple of sort of example products, thinking about what does a good outcome look like, and then thinking about how they're going to evidence that. So what kind of you know data and metrics would you need? What have they already got? What additional data are they going to have to gather? So that's sort of helping them take those initial steps towards the um, monitoring requirements. Um, and also thinking about whether there's any priority products or, or services that, that they can identify now where they might have to make changes. So without doing a sort of wholesale review of, of all your products at this stage, are there any sort of particular products where you know firms have got an inkling that actually in the SCA's eyes they might see the pricing or the terms as as, as not being um, as not meeting the SCA's expectations on fairness. Um, so identifying any any priority products there um, and doing the same on sludge practices. So um, any sort of unreasonable barriers in the FCA's eyes, and um, the FCA is particularly worried about things like um, sort of uh, complaints, um, claims, that kind of thing. Um, 
I think another sort of really helpful step that firms can take at the moment is to reflect on some of the work they've hopefully already done to comply with the FCA's vulnerable customers guidance. So there is quite a lot of overlap. There should hopefully be some learnings that firms can take from that. They could potentially use, reuse um, any sort of frameworks or models they've introduced there. So things like um, if they've introduced a framework for monitoring outcomes for their vulnerable customers, is there something they can reuse from that? Any work they might have done to gain a, a, a more detailed understanding of their vulnerable customers' needs because they apply that to their broader um, customer population or perhaps they've, um, they've developed tools to um, assess the impact that a product might have at the design stage. So I think there should definitely be some, some learnings that firms can take from that. Yeah, and it's interesting because you're right, there is overlap between things like vulnerable customers or value assessment in, in these particular areas. I mean, so firms are, are taking some steps to prepare themselves. Are we seeing the FCA making any sort of public pronouncements about this or are they beginning to apply this focus on consumer outcomes in its approach as well? I think we've seen a few things publicly. So although it was a little while ago now, I think it's worth um, reflecting on the latest business plan. So that was from July 2021. Um, and you know, and that makes clear that, that some of the concepts that, that underpin the duty are already kind of central to, to its approach. So um, that business plan talked about things like disclosures that enable consumers to make effective investment decisions. It talked about sludge practices, fair value in a digital age, which has been one of its business plan priorities for, for a couple of years now. Um, and I think in a few areas, we're seeing the FCA reference the consumer duty as being sort of part of its solution for other initiatives. So um, the consumer investment strategy piece is, is, is a good example there of where you know, the FCA has kind of sort of listed consumer duty as, as, as a reason for perhaps why it's not introducing some, some more um, interventions because it knows that that's coming and that that's going to address some of the, the issues that it's seeing in that market. Um, the, in the retail banking space, there was an interesting update recently. Um, so in January 2022, um, the SCA gave a bit of an update on its review of retail banking business models. Um, so it said it found that competition is increasing in retail banking, but it was highlighting that that competition might not always deliver the same benefits for all customers um, and saying it's going to continue to challenge firms to, to meet the needs of those customers and that it's monitoring how banks are implementing any new charging structures or, or business models to make sure that charges aren't falling disproportionately on um, low-income consumers or, or vulnerable customers, and also that firms aren't reducing the services that, that they offer to those customers. So I think that's quite an interesting one in terms of um, current supervisory work and how some of this thinking is already feeding in. Yeah, and I suppose, David, that plays to your, to your point that actually this is a big key priority for the regulator and for Nikhil going forward as well. So, so it is permeating a number of sort of policy areas at the moment. Are you seeing it begin to come through in, in, in any of the, the FCA interactions that our clients are having? Yeah, and if, if it's okay, I'll touch both on firms and uh, SMFs. Yeah, yeah. So, as you know, I often get dragged in when firms have got some sort of, let's say, tricky situation with the FCA. And I've seen several letters now where as part of the FCA asking a firm to deal with a tricky situation, they use, the, use some sort of neutral language there, um, they're, they're specifically saying, look, and can you, can you bear in mind you need to look at this through a consumer duty lens? And I think that's quite interesting, not least because it's supposed to be a forward-looking agenda, but it is very much reminding management teams and boards that actually they need to have it as part of their thinking. I think, you know, related to that and building on Tessa's point about no regrets actions, I think 
Um, particularly the larger firms need to make sure that their boards and their executive level SMFs are, breached on, are briefed on consumer duty because it's going to start coming up in face-to-face -face meetings or perhaps virtual meetings between regulators and those SMFs and the, the FCA will expect them to have, a, have an answer as to what the firm is doing to prepare and, and what they're doing within their reasonable steps framework or perhaps thinking about doing in future. Okay, and it's interesting because when when you're brought into tricky situations on occasion, some of those are kind of historic. So firms have had some problems or have discovered something that has not gone entirely right. Is there a, a weird sort of retrospective element to this that you're seeing as well? I, I'd say there's a, there's an element of ambiguity in the letters. Right. Okay. So I think what the FCA is nudging the firms to do is to make sure that they the outcomes they deliver in relation to whatever the tricky issue is are customer-centric and are aligned at least at a principal level with what the FCA is trying to get out through consumer duty. Okay, that makes sense. And again, if it's if it's a key thing they're looking at going forward, I can see why they'd want to do that. Okay. So, I mean, uh, Tessa talked a little bit about some of the actions firm can take now sort of as we're, we're heading towards final rules. We're not expecting the policy statement until July time this year in the summer. So what actions are firms going to, to be looking at from July onwards, David? Well, I think to some extent it'll be dictated by by the rules, obviously. But you know, when I speak to people in the industry, when I speak to our competitors about what's going on, I think there's a number of sort of themes that come up. So, first of all, you know, what changes to products, services, communications, processes, and procedures need to be made, and those are both you know external facing ones and internal facing ones. You know, presumably, everybody's code of conduct training is going to have to be updated to reflect consumer duty going forward you know to give you give you an example um, I think you know maybe some contract reviews to make sure that the contracts balance the legal needs of the service or product provider but also the consumer duty angle and making sure that the product contracts are clear and intelligible and that's always a, a difficult thing um, testing outcomes uh, both in terms of customer understanding of products which I think is key and goes to the sort of product marketing thing I was alluding to in a minute, but also you know testing customer outcomes. I think when I look across the clients I work with, they tend to be pretty good at testing whether the process works, yeah. and therefore they can pick up you know did they send that document to the customer? Did they therefore comply with an MCOB rule or a CCA provision or whatever it might be? What they're less good at, because actually I think it's quite difficult, is testing individual customer outcomes over the life cycle of the product, which is particularly challenging, of course, when, as you were alluding to earlier, some of the pension products and so on are you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 year products for the customers have got. So, and then, and then linked to that, changes to MI, you know, how do you make sure your executive team and your, your board are properly informed around the outcomes you're delivering because, because I think, you know, if you go back to, the, to my starting point, if you aren't delivering the outcomes, you know, you're not delivering what Nick Hill wants and that's going to come back and bite you through supervision or enforcement. Are we seeing individual SMFs actually being accountable for this? Is it being built into people's job description, role description, and their profile and things like that? I think it will have to be. I'm, I'm, I can't remember, Tessa, you might remember, in, in the detail of the rules, I'm not sure if there are new prescribed responsibilities or whatever, but wh whether there's something built into the plumbing of the rules or not, absolutely it's got to be built into the accountab accountability framework that goes with SMCR. 
Okay. Yeah, so the SCA is not taking a very prescriptive approach to, to the governance around this. It, you know, senior managers will be accountable for, for each aspect of it. It makes that clear, but it, it's sort of giving some firms some flexibility in terms of how they how they set up the governance and accountability around it. And I think that, um, you know, that process is going to be really, really crucial. What process have you got for kind of identifying issues and, and, and taking action to address them once you spot them um, in your MI? You know, think hopefully the SA won't expect things to be perfect, but I think it will expect firms to be able to identify problems at the right level and to take swift action. And you would kind of hope maybe there's an element of this being iterative because it is going to take firms a while to get their heads around it and to develop their, their approaches to it. So, I mean, David, so in terms of the FCA's supervisory approach to this, how, how is this going to feel different for firms, do you think? Well, well, I think initially it'll be more that they'll perceive different language. So, you know, either in their annual supervisory letters for the larger firms or in their interactions, the FCA will start talking about consumer duty more and, and, and TCF less. I think what's really interesting is, you know, when the rubber hits the road, when the supervisors are out asking for information and so on, you know, are they going to see things look different to, um, to, to how they looked in a TCF world. So, you know, going back to my points about outcome testing, about the way people think about customer documentation, they think about products, you know, that's the sort of thing the FCA is going to be looking for. And look, in, in the longer term, if and when an issue arises, we all know that the FCA and the PRA assert that you've breached a principle rather than a rule. And that's because, almost without exception, the, the principles are more uh, subjective and therefore they give the FCA or the PRA more flexibility in the judgment about what they bring action against people. So I think we will see, you know, perhaps in three, four, five years, the first, you know, uh, consumer duty-led enforcement action coming through against the uh, against the bigger firms. We might see it earlier in the smaller firms because they, you know, tend sometimes not to have as much money to fight or whatever, but, you know, we should expect to see that coming through in the in the longer term. And if we're seeing this as such a significant development, is there a broader market impact that we might see from this? Well, look, I hope not. I mean, the, ultimately, the FCA is accountable to Parliament for a statutory objectives. And I'm sure consumer duty was would be effectively something that was discussed when when Nikhil was being was being appointed. I think the difficulty with all types of regulation is the unintended consequences. I think none of us will want to see less innovation in the market. None of us will want to see you know greater financial exclusion. The question I think which none of us know the answer to quite yet is to what extent will firms' risk appetite change? because of the uncertainty around how this will be operated in practice. And I think it's important that all the stakeholders keep an eye on that, because I think the FCA is well-intentioned. It's the unintended consequences that always come back to bite you. Yeah, I would agree. Okay. So finally, uh, let's, let's end on a positive note. So uh, Tessa, I'll come to you first. How can firms embrace the opportunities that this presents uh, and not just see this as a, a fairly substantial compliance exercise in cost? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think my main message here would be um, for firms to think about this as part of their sort of broader strategy and purpose. You know, and, and, and the SCA's um, certainly said in its messaging that it wants firms to really embed this in their culture, in their in their business model, and not just see it as as a compliance exercise. Um, but I think there's there's some important um, kind of links here between the consumer duty pr proposals and and other initiatives and, and priorities from government and regulators. So there's a link to the diversity and inclusion agenda. Um, as we've talked about, there's an overlap with um, vulnerable customers and also um, 
related to that, the work around sort of inclusion and, and accessibility. So I think it makes sense for firms to, to think about this in the round. Um, and, you know, really regulators are looking for firms to embrace quite a fundamental change when you, once you put all that together, it's, you know, want to see businesses that are more representative of the societies that they serve, firms which design inclusive products and services, which, which improve consumer outcomes and, and meet the diverse needs of their customers. And um, there was quite an interesting line in the first consultation paper where the SEA says it wants to see firms starting from a position of identifying the customer needs that they can profitably serve, rather than starting off by thinking about what products and services they can profitably sell. Um, so it's about that kind of uh, mindset change, really, and, and, and hopefully moving more to a place where firms are making money from solving society's problems and from meeting consumers' needs, rather than inadvertently creating problems. And I think there's a real opportunity for, for the industry to kind of embrace this. You know, they've sort of shown through the pandemic that they can be part of the solution rather than part of the problem as they continue to move out of the long shadow of the financial crisis. And, you know, I think if they really engage with this purpose, they, they'll find that, that it can deliver benefits as well. Things like um, more motivated staff, um, you know, in, improved customer engagement and improved decision making and that profit and purpose can go hand in hand. Thank you, Tessa. And David, can you build on Tessa's wonderful vision of the future anymore? I wonder if there's a way of linking up consumer duty and, and ESG. Okay. I wonder if part of this, and, and actually going right back to something, touch on something that Tessa said, going right, right back to the purpose of organisations. I think that if, organ, if organisations think really creatively about this, there's a way of almost changing the purpose of an organization, or at least changing the description of the purpose of an organization, changing the way you market both you know, individual products and, and more generally how you promote your brand. And if you think about you know, some of the, the subjects we've touched on, you know, you, there's a link between consumer duty and good environmental, environmentally friendly products in the financial services market. There's a link to social inclusion diversity and inclusion so I think that and you know and there's good governance uh, sitting over both ESG programs and consumer duty programs so I think there's some really innovative thinking that can go on about how you link up consumer duty with your existing ESG program okay that's a really interesting point thank you well thank you both for joining us today uh, that was a really interesting discussion I think for me there were a number of takeaways I mean I think given this is a really high priority issue for the regulator I think there is the risk of an expectation gap in terms of what we're hearing from senior regulators from supervisors and some firms as well so I think there's a, a lot to do um, I'm, I'm very taken by the breadth and the, the sort of nuanced impact on individual firms depending on who they are so those people with legacy systems and back books who've had acquisitions in the past are probably in a very different place from some of the sort of tech-enabled um, new entrants, for example. So I think that each firm probably needs to think about this in their own way. Uh, and then I guess the, the final takeaway for me is nine months. You know, if we get the final rules this summer and then it's an April 2023 implementation date, that is not long. So no regrets, actions aside, I think there's an awful lot for firms to do. To our listeners, I really hope you've also found this conversation interesting and informative. Please subscribe to future episodes and rate and review this series. I look forward to our next episode next month. <laughs>